Hello and welcome to the Employment Law Podcast. I'm Brian Powles, the Director of PCC Employment Lawyers. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Essie Maravara and Jessica Hatton. Welcome back, Jessica. It's been a little while since your last podcast, but welcome back again. So today we're going to talk about swearing at work. Essie's written a, a newsletter, which we're, we're going to going to send out to our email database and put on our webpage as normal. This is just basically a summary of that same newsletter. We've, we've addressed the issue of swearing at work and in particular, whether swearing can be grounds for disciplinary consequences. Nothing much has changed in the law, but we thought we'd revisit this because it's quite an interesting topic and it's quite an informative topic for, for employers. After that, we're going to do the good, the bad, the ugly as, as always. And then in our film review, we watched uh, The Rainmaker. Francis Ford Coppola version of the John Grisham book starring Matt Damon and Dan DeVito. Just before we start, when we are talking about swearing, just as a trigger warning, I'm just going to let everybody know that as part of the discussion of swearing, it's going to be impossible unless we use the actual words in, in question. So if you're offended by swear words, then it's probably not the podcast for you, but otherwise listen on. So look, we last wrote about swearing, I think in about 2015, there's a chapter in our book as well, an employer's guide to Australian employment law, um, where we deal with this pretty in a pretty minor way. To me, it's always been about context. And, and, and the cases I think that we're going to discuss today will show that. And um, there's some situations where swearing is, is completely fine. There's other situations where it's not. It depends on what word was used in what context and, and, and how. But look, Essie's written the newsletter. Have a read of that. What What did you find? If has anything changed swearing wise in, in the last couple of years since we were, since we published on this issue, Essie? Yeah, I mean, not too surprisingly, during the pandemic, I'm sure we were all swearing a bit more. There's only so I many was. ways that you can describe <laughs> a global pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but interestingly enough, it was actually last year in 2021 that there's a study that found that swearing increased by 60. percent Wow. Which, uh, and that study actually revealed that management teams in particular were swearing more than before. Um, and I think that can be attributed to just this general relaxation of formalities that we've seen yeah. because we're all working from home. Yeah, more. that's right. Well, definitely working from home. I think there's been more, we talked last week about flexibility, but also we're finding people are being a bit more casual at work with their clothing. Everything is less formal, I think, as an incident of the pandemic. I mean, maybe that'll change. We're, we're, maybe we're in, still in the middle of it. But yeah, that's not surprising. Swearing's increased. I mean, I've always sworn at work as a management employee, uh, having been from a hospitality background, I, I can't help myself. Can you dismiss an employee for swearing? Well, like, as always, the short answer is yes. And then the long answer is it depends. Um, <laughs> but we've obviously talked about the dismissal process at a bit of length. I mean, we've had that we had an e-publication on the topic about a year ago uh, on our yeah. lawful and ethical guide to termination of employment. Um, everyone can check that out. Yeah. And I'm assuming since we've all, all read it, memorized it, <laughs> bed, <laughs> we all know now that there's about, um, there's essentially there's three parts to an unfair dismissal or to disproving an unfair dismissal claim. Yeah. That being that there has to be a valid reason for the dismissal. The correct process has to be followed and it can't be excessively harsh. When is it a valid reason? I suppose that's the question. Yeah. So the thing about swearing is, as you said, it's usually about the context. So swear yeah. words in and of themselves generally not considered to be offensive. It's the context yeah. in which they're used. So if you're swearing in casual conversation or swearing at an inanimate object, you know, muttering under your breath because you're computer's not working, that's unlikely to be offensive to someone, but, or, or to be considered, you know, bullying or, or harassment. Yeah. But if, yeah. if you're using an aggressive tone, you're raising your voice, you're directing the swear words at someone, yeah. that's when it's much more likely to be considered a valid reason for dismissal. Yeah. And that's common sense, isn't it? There's a big difference between saying, fucking photocopier won't work and actually referring to someone, which we'll see a couple of cases where that's been the case. It's, it's actually been directed at somebody. And certainly I, mean, I think one of the cases we looked at where, you know, someone calling their manager a fucking bitch or something like that is quite different 
from from just referring to it and and you know this idea of sort of conversational swearing which i think jessica's going to talk about it as one of the cases where it's just swearing is just an incident of conversation in certain contexts and absolutely in, in you know your more traditional blue collar contexts and then in the hospitality industry where it's, it's it's just commonplace but i think where you talk about valid reason essie i think that's really interesting there's also a really important part of the unfair dismissal, you know, we've got the harsh, unjust, unreasonable, but when, when we look about the factors um, in section 387 and 387H is, you know, any other factor the commission considers relevant, one of the key things they'll look at is fairness between the employee and other employees. So it, that then we start to talk about the consistency of the treatment as well. And, you know, if someone is, is dismissed for saying, for swearing, but other people use those same words commonly and they're not dismissed, that is going to be considered a, a very important factor in any unfair dismissal um, proceedings. And I think that ties to another really important point, which is the Fair Commission look at these things in a very no-nonsense, down-to-earth manner. They're not formalistic in their approach. And so if an HR person or if a boss uses a kind of formalistic approach, that'll, that'll come out in the, in the proceedings. You can't pick on some aspect of the conduct and then just you know, make a mountain out of a molehill. Yeah, you can't it's, use yeah. swearing to manufacture a reason for dismissal. Exactly. exactly. That's, that's what I was trying to say, much, <laughs> much more eloquent than I did. Yeah, exactly right. It, it needs to be the genuine reason, and I don't think it's going to be a genuinely valid reason in circumstances where the context doesn't call for it. It needs to be either combined with some sort of hostility or aggressive conduct. It has to cause reputational damage to the business, as in it needs to be directed at a customer or, or, or something along those lines, or it needs to be a, a work health and safety issue. And a lot of the time with swearing, if it is one of those things, it won't be just the swearing. You know, you can be dismissed for being aggressive without swearing. I think if you're aggressive and you swear, it's more a case of that that being an aggravated example of aggression rather than necessarily just being an example of swearing. But then on but, the other uh, hand, you could also be someone who uses language or, you know, if you swear often and, and you get a warning or you get called out on it quite a few times and you don't stop maybe in front of clients, you know, that's another reason where maybe that'll be a reason for dismissal eventually. A hundred percent, yeah, and, and and particularly if it's if it's affecting the reputation or the viability of the business, yeah. Um, if it's something that is is considered, you know, if, if it's something that could damage the business interests, then inevitably, as long as procedures followed, that's going to be a valid reason for dismissal. But I think the key thing is that avoid formalism and avoid avoid trying to use it as a, as a, to manufacture. I think there's some examples of that. But Jessica, what what were the cases that you looked at? Yeah, so these are both cases from 2019. Yep. So the first one is Boris and Metcash Trading Limited trading as Metcash. Uh, he only went by Boris. It made a point of I saying that, that in the case. <laughs> yeah, said he That's only Boris. went by one name. It's just Cher. It's just Shrek. Yeah. It's <laughs> so a part of this was there was some history of antagonism between Boris and his supervisor. But right. what the, in particular that led to his dismissal he, his supervisor, Mr. Torres, came up to him during his work and said, we need to talk to you about your performance. It was a general meeting that happened every every time they did a review of perform a regular review, then you go and have a chat. But Boris said, no, you need to give it to me in writing. And he was like, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> then Mr. Torres also texted him and called him on Boris's day off to try and arrange this review meeting. So Boris was already put off that his boss was calling him or his supervisor, sorry, was calling him on his day off. Yeah. So at the meeting, he turns up the meeting, he's standing while everyone else is sitting down. He raises his voice. He's leaning over the table. There was differences of opinions of what he actually said during there, but he raised his voice. He said during the hearing that he probably said, this is fucking bullshit. Carol never fucking helps. Carol wasn't in the meeting. I think she was that general HR person. Right. And so he got dismissed the next day. He tried to justify his swearing, saying that 
it was conversational swearing. They work in yep. a blue collar. It kind of generally referred to case law saying that that's okay. But yep. the Fair Work Commission didn't agree. They said during performance meetings, no party should be swearing. It was inappropriate. It was unreasonable that he was, yeah, he was using it aggressively towards people. Oh, and he also threatened his supervisor saying, if you call me on my day off again, I'll tell you what I think of you and your mother. Right. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's interesting though, because that like I don't dispute that concept of conversational swearing. I, I think, you know, like if you're in the crib room and you're, and you're having your sandwich and it's like, oh, you know, I fucking hate this sandwich, it's awful, you know, that's conversational swearing. I think yes. in that context, it's used as a way to emphasize what you're saying you're building an ar- an argument you're getting creative it's what is it it's just your classic adjective instead of saying i really hate the sandwich I, I say i fucking hate the sandwich but in the context where boris used it where he says this is fucking disrespectful it's not conversational at all no. um mm. i think it'd be interesting if if there was if it was used like that you know if if it was if it was a workplace where people could say oh you know Oh, I forgot my fucking sandwich while they were in the crib room. Then in a performance meeting, them saying, "Oh, look, you know, I'm really fucking sorry. I'm terrible." You know that that's conversational swearing. But actually, where it's directed at somebody, and it's just adding heat to a fairly confrontational thing, then then absolutely, I think that's going to form a valid reason. But it looks sounds like the context. There was other stuff in the context too. You know, yeah. the refusal to attend the meeting in the first mm-hmm. place. Um, some of those things. The sort of conduct that I think is going to form a valid reason every time. And so, what's the other one that was the uh, Gary the Matthews? Pelican, yes, the Pelican, Pelican feeder. Yeah. So it's Gary Matthews and San Remo Fisherman's Cooperative. Yep. So Gary was a Pelican feeder. Um, at the time of his dismissal, he was working one hour a week for twenty nine dollars. Um, he was a casual employee as well. So the Fair yep. Work Commission said. It might not seem much, but he's covered by unfair dismissal provision. So he gets to have, he can make this application. The Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning had asked Gary's supervisor, Mr. Mannix, for some information about badges that were sold at the Pelican Feeds. The badges were sold after it by employees of the co-op, but the funds fully went to a Pelican research group. Did you say badgers? Badge, badges, sorry. Badges. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Continue. <laughs> Pelicans and badges. Yeah. <laughs> what a job. Um, so, missed, uh, so Gary refused to give that information. He said that it wasn't part of his job as a pelican feeder. That was afterwards. And the members of the pelican research group had all decided that the co-op didn't have a right to that information. By the reading, it seems like his supervisor didn't tell him that the department wanted that information. Department mm-hmm. wanted that information because they thought the co-op was profiteering from wildlife. Mr Mannix asked Gary to just have a quick word after the, the pelican fee, which he did. During the meeting, both men agreed that they swore. Gary said, what you did was very fucking disrespectful from the word go. And Mr. Mannix, his supervisor, said, this is effing offensive that you would make such an accusation. So it was a big thing for the defendant to distinguish effing from fucking. Apparently right. for, the, for the defendant, that was effing wasn't swearing, fucking was swearing. And right. so as Gary swore, he could get fired. The uh, Commissioner Gregory said, this is an exercise in hair splitting. There is no difference between fucking and effing. They may have the same intent. He likened it to, instead of of saying you're fired, to we're letting you go, it was the same thing. Um, But in this case, the Fair Work Commission said, though it was a valid reason, it was too harsh and um, unreasonable because it wasn't proportionate to his actions. They also added that, both of them were swearing during the conversation. There were two mature, experienced individuals who had, a, before that, a good relationship with each other. It was just swearing in the conversation rather than kind of at 
each other aggressively. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting that they, and I agree with that 100%, that there should be no distinction between saying effing and saying fucking, because they are the same word. You know yeah. what someone's saying or not saying. Yeah, but I always think that in the newspapers when they write, you know, they write F and then a whole lot of symbols, <laughs> you know, or three symbols, you know, you know, or C and like three symbols. Everyone How knows what it is. <laughs> that's right. How is it any any less offensive? I mean, we will talk about that when it comes to procedure. But what, what, what were you going to say, Essie? Sorry. That... No, just that. No, we'll come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll come back to that in terms of how we focus those. But in terms of the actual gravity of it itself, I think that that's 100% right. Like, I mean, for, for, for the employer at the unfair dismissal to be saying, you know, well, I, I didn't swear, I said effing, but he said fucking that. that that's, yeah, that's not going to be accepted by any commission that, that I've been before. Um, I do kind of, I do agree with that. Like the idea that yeah. technically fucking and effing don't have a difference. And I like that the employer wasn't able to just hide behind the fact that they kind of tried to swerve the word and yeah. therefore haven't done anything wrong while the employee's all in the wrong. But at the same time, yeah. I do think that like if you hear someone talk somehow like saying the actual word does stick out more, like it does sound yeah. more intense it sounds more aggressive. Yeah. yeah. Um, the employer yeah. was saying that his use of effing instead of fucking showed some restraint. So that was the difference. And But it's, it's the same intent, same word. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but I guess so. But I'm, I, 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 mean, I guess you can see that that's the intention of doing so, can't you? Mm. you know, he still um, wanted to say. <laughs> yeah. That, it's, <laughs> well, it's, a, it's an odd distinction, isn't it? Mm. But um, but I, look, I, and I think it's, it's probably a, a distinction that, would have been allowed if we were just talking about you know different employees maybe but when the employer is trying to say well i didn't swear and he did that's the reason they apparently sacked him but he also said that it's pretty hollow in in real terms and i think there was no issues before that it was just a one-off event where with boris he had a a thing with authority at the company that he was yeah i think that didn't help that extra history and boris was like well yes But it's interesting, and I know I noticed just I'm moving away from the swearing for one minute, like the twenty nine dollars per week bit, which is quite interesting. And I don't, I agree, I don't have any issues with him being covered by unfair, um, by the unfair dismissal jurisdiction because it's regular, systematic, etc. But the case can't be worth much. What's twenty nine times twenty six? Like seven hundred something dollars? Like well, in his application, he just wanted to be reinstated. Reinstated. It fair wasn't enough. about them. One okay. of he he specifically, which is. No, an odd one for most applicants most applicants says just give me the money and i'll move on <laughs> where he was like no he wants his job back so he must have yeah. really liked working with penguins and increasing pelicans, pelicans. <laughs> sorry the case at the front at the, the and the badgers the case, he referred to pele- uh, penguins <laughs> thing. yeah it's pelicans yeah <laughs> i guess well yeah well that brings us to the um you know to the procedural issues and and I think, as you said, Essie, in the beginning, and if anyone's listening, if they haven't seen it, download the publication we did. As, as you say, Essie, it was about a year ago, but nothing's really changed in terms of, of this. There, there is a valid reason that all dismissals have to be accompanied by appropriate procedural fairness. Now, procedural fairness in an unfair dismissal context, there's really a, there's a couple of aspects to it. All employees are entitled to have allegations put to them about um, what they've done and be given a genuine opportunity to respond to those allegations before any dismissal is affected or any d- decision is made. It's also important to allow someone to have a support person with them in any meeting that you know could potentially involve discussion of the termination of employment, not just termination of employment, but discussion around termination of employment. I think from those points of view, I you know I just while we're on the subject of support persons, um, maybe that could be a, a subject for another podcast, but you know, I just generally think it's best practice in almost any circumstance where you, you're dealing with an employee that, that's going to be having a difficult conversation with their employer. It's it's not always um, possible in certain circumstances, but it's um, advisable. When it comes to putting the allegations to them, it's really important. And this is what we were, you know, talking like Essie, you were going to talk to before. I think it is actually important to use the actual words that have been said in the written correspondence. It, it just leaves a little bit of grey if you don't actually 
put the real words. Um, and, and you'll notice that, that if you're reading a case in the Fair Work Commission, they will extract the exact allegation exactly. No little funny symbols or, or any of that because it, it, it's open to too much confusion. As a funny story, we um, had one of my sons, and I can't remember which one, but it was when they were in like kindergarten or year one. I remember coming to us and saying that one of their classmates had gotten in trouble for using the C word. And, and Nat and I were kind of a little bit shocked because I think in kindergarten, that is pretty young. And our son was shocked too. And then, and then we said, you know what? We didn't even think they knew the C word. And we're like, what, what's the C word? And he like whispered to us and he said, crap. <laughs> oh no but it's interesting because that's exactly the sort of thing that can happen i mean you, you know and and it's something that you, you do need to articulate in in any allegation situation there can be no room for ambiguity or confusion about what's being alleged so we set were, it out in full we were just saying that everyone knows what you mean when you say c word we were just i know they don't i know that I know that, but I guess that's more in the context that, you know, it, it has that same impact when it comes to offending somebody, you know, in a newspaper, for instance, I've always found that odd, but I do think where you're talking about alleging something, make the allegations really specific because they, they need to know. And as well as that, if it is a breach of the code of conduct, then that has to be part of the allegation too. You know, if it is a threat to the reputation of the or viability of the business that needs to be part of the allegation as well everything that you think about it needs to go in there as well as the specific details genuine opportunity to respond um, and listen to that response you know that's really really important you're not just going through the motions you have to listen to what the person actually has to say and if they the, say sorry yeah with, no, the no, you go. Yeah, yeah. with the opportunity to respond i just wanted to point out that even if there's an investigation and they've responded in the investigation yeah. That's not their response. They need to again respond to the finding. To the if you're going to, if you're thinking of the terminating, they have to then do another response to the finding of the investigation. A hundred percent, and and it starts to get a bit nuanced uh, on that point. And when you start to talk about investigations, all the rest of it, absolutely. It, it, at some point, it needs to be. And you know, a lot of people use the terminology show cause, allegations letter, whatever it happens to be. It, it needs to be a point where this is what we've found in our investigation. If there was an investigation, this is what's being alleged. This is what the employer has um, determined on the basis of those allegations. You know, where if you're talking about a code of conduct breach or you're talking about a breach of the Fair Work Regulations, serious misconduct, etc. All of that, because reasons are not just what's happened. Reasons include the employer's reasoning about what has happened. And then the opportunity to respond has to be genuine in the sense that if they do make a response, this needs to be considered. There's sometimes situations like the swearing example could be the employer and the employee says something along the lines of having a really rough time. I had a terrible argument with my wife. My mother is terminally ill and I snapped. And in that context, it could then become harsh to proceed with the, with the termination, you know, especially if there's contrition and and reasons for it etc so but when it comes to the um the process please read our guideline give us a call if you've got any questions and i think that's pretty much it on swearing have you guys got anything else oh okay. policies. Policies. policies yeah 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 so so what should go along we talked about policies you know if it's a breach of a policy put that in the allegation but also well, step one have a written policy, have a policy. <laughs> just <laughs> have one before you refer to it yeah and it doesn't have but, to be about like you don't just have to have your own swearing policy it can be a yeah. code of conduct have it mentioned in there um just mainly have it in writing it's not only important for disciplinary processes but it's also just a really great tool to let employees know of the standard that's just expected of them and if you have uh, managers who are swearing more than you're likely to have employees who mimic that or think that that's okay. So to also just keep in mind who the policy's for and to uh, enforce it consistently, like we talked about. Um, and when you're drafting it naturally, because there are, you know, different types of workplaces, some people find that it encourages team building or, you know, they want to do away with formalities. And then, but then on the other hand, um, you need to take into consideration all the possible co 
all the possible circumstances um, and not just draft it based on your toughest employee who's, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, wouldn't be phased by hearing the harshest of words, you know. Yeah. But- sort of the eggshell skull principle, you know, think about the person that is most likely to be offended by conduct rather than least likely. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And also th- that there's a difference uh, in what's a swear word and what's a derogatory term. Um, so I think yeah. what we talked about, that swear words in and of themselves might not be considered offensive, but certain ethnic slurs will much more likely be considered offensive no matter the context. And those are yeah. not swear words. Yeah. Um, and that's a whole new can of beans. And- oh, <laughs> category. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if there's a racial ethnic connection there you, you you can even be verging into discriminatory and, and hate that's right. of it. but but again that's like that's also a broader part of of the context generally you know swear yeah. words aren't just swear words if they're part of aggression as well yeah so yes yeah, so that's pretty much it um but just to go through the the key points um if you do have a no swearing policy enforce it consistently consistently against all employees who swear in the workplace um, if there's no policy and swearing is not condoned in the workplace, you should consider implementing a policy. And even if it's just, uh, you know, part of a broader code of conduct, um, it doesn't need to be, as you said, Essie, it doesn't need to be a standalone policy. Point two, there's a difference between swearing during general discussions and, you know, launching into some sort of tirade or tantrum or, uh, or whatever you want to call it, um, particularly if that's against a certain person and it's combined with other forms of aggression, including body language, raised voice, etc. As you said, quite rightly, actually, don't confuse swearing with other derogatory terms. There's a whole other element when when you're talking about sexism, racism, all of those types of things. And you know, the one I use, bitch. The the, the I, don't, I don't know. We didn't end up talking about the case, but where where someone called his manager a fucking bitch. That's a great example of something that's beyond swearing. There's actually a, a derogatory sexist connotation to that as well, which, which gives it a whole new element. Mm. Consider the culture that you wish to cultivate. Employees will take cues from their supervisors. If managers swear regularly, then employees are gonna are gonna pick up from that, and and it's you know manifestly unfair to punish them for doing something that their manager is doing to them. As you say, as you consider the audience that that it's directed at and think about it in terms of the person that could be offended not the average level of offense to be taken and obviously think about the seriousness and the context above all the context and that's pretty much that sums it up the good the bad the ugly did we do anything this week i've got to be honest with you i found it very hard to find a good i was about to say that No, I have a good, but I mean, my first thought was there is no good. (laughs) (laughs) Bad energy around at the moment, I reckon. No, between the floods. Yeah. And Putin and his whole war on Ukraine, you know, it's... uh, (laughs) Yeah. So, what was your good? Jessica? Yes. So my uh, good, after the High Court case a couple of weeks ago with the... Combine one with the British traveller and the um, truck drivers about the yeah. interpretation of independent contractor and employee. So yeah, that was my good last time, actually. Uh, that was the, 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 those cases. Well, <laughs> personal contracting, which is the one who was the employer of the British traveller, they're now yeah. paying all their employees as casuals and they're yeah. also seeking legal advice about their contracts, so fixing their contracts yeah. up. So I thought that yeah. was good. <laughs> So their contractors are now casuals. Yes. Now casuals. Yeah, not wow. surprisingly. Yeah. But um, you know, and I think they determined their back claim, the CFMU's potential back claim is like in the region of sixty million or something, I think, against that one company. Yes. So, so what was your Essie, what was your good? Oh, my good is that the trains are back to normal. Um, the New South Wales government <laughs> has dropped its section forty six claim against the rail workers unit union. Um yeah against their uh, industrial action in the Fair Work Commission and rail networks meant to return to normal as of Monday. So yeah, that's good. That's good for you. That is good for me. <laughs> as a train Except, user. Of course, <laughs> the rain has been uh, yeah. a problem and uh, slowing things down anyway, but we appreciate the work that they do despite all that. So my good was, um, as I said, it was dredging the bottom of the barrel. 
but <laughs> my good was found in the case of uh, the unfair dismissal out of time case of McHale and Anglicare, which is um, yet another vaccination mandate unfair dismissal case. Now, the employee was out of time and for a number of reasons, but the majority of the reasons were representative error. So it was quite interesting as this is Deputy President, Deputy President Gosten Inc. And in this case, the, the solicitor involved has, has you know, given evidence in relation to these various errors. Sounds, it was over the Christmas period, which is always makes, I mean, unfair dismissals are hard enough as it is, but the, with the 21 day time limit, but over the Christmas period, it, it can always throw up some, some strange ones. The solicitor's gone, you know, under oath to talk about representative error. And normally, as is the case when it's a case of representative error, that is something, if that's been causative of the delay, the, that will constitute exceptional circumstances for for the granting of the extension. What I thought was quite interesting is that DP Gossonic actually commended the solicitor for her candor in terms of um, the error and said, you know, I think the quote was by it's it's by no means a comfortable experience for a young and relatively inexperienced solicitor to attend before a court or tribunal as a solicitor on the record and set out the evidence under oath errors made in the practices practice of one's own profession but the solicitor did that and although she should be expected to do it she is to be commended for her candor and i thought that was actually quite a like it was good that the commissioner said that and i think when when stuff like this happens you know it, it should just be a sense of open okay yep i made the mistake and let, let's fix it. It's, it's for the best interest of everybody. Um, and it encourages for, people to actually. Exactly right. Even though we have an obligation, like we're all under an obligation to, to be completely candid. Yeah. Um, I, I think the fact that the, the DP went to that effort of actually commending, and I think that's actually, that, that was good of, um, good, a good thing to do. So bad. What did you have, Jessica, for bad? So I had an unfair dismissal case that's, been dismissed the the employee in question who was dismissed was dismissed for excessive personal use of her phone so when they checked her phone records she'd sent one day sent 73 text messages in four and a half hours during work time and another day sent 76 text messages in seven hours and this was a couple of days after receiving a warning not to use her phone. <laughs> yeah. Something like 12, I read that. It was 1,200 text was, messages over a month or something. Wow. Yeah, so she just yeah. set up a farm stay for her own business yeah. as a farm stay on her property, but that's no excuse. You're getting paid to work at work. So I thought that was yeah. some really bad decision-making on her. That's a yeah. lot of text messages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so it wasn't bad that it was dismissed. No, just no, the employee's yeah. behaviour, they're yeah. expecting that it's okay. She kind of reasoned that she'd work late or she'd work through lunch but the commission wasn't satisfied she was receiving an above ward rate she was should have been focused on her job it's pretty brazen i thought it was pretty brazen that she brought the application given yes. that the phone records were always going to show that it's um you know and it's and i i just presumed when i first saw the headline that um i even think it might have been one of you guys tweeting it that it was uh yeah um sort of FOMO type scenario you know what I mean like and you see that a lot with like younger people on Instagram and stuff just being unable to not look at their phone but the fact she was actually running a business yes and she yeah. was also ordering <laughs> groceries online as well and yeah. using her the company signature on her own yeah. personal email yeah. <laughs> yeah anyway yep that's bad that's Essie, what, have you, what have you got for bad oh uh my bad is that Woolworths has advised of uh further underpayments once again uh and apparently in the amount to 144 million dollars yeah which is pretty big they'd already that uh, repaid that was yours oh i did again. yeah you can <laughs> you can try and dismiss me for swearing during <laughs> during our podcast on workplace swearing um but no that's right so they'd repaid 427 million already uh to to their salaried employees um so to to find that there's even more more left to do is i think some of the issue is the different like long service leave entitlements with different states their their system didn't didn't like that (laughs) yeah yeah 
just when you think that it's a, it's an employer with like that that big of a you know workforce yeah. and that, that many staff just really plenty of them on top of it plenty of employers in australia have to deal with the different long service leave provisions and i agree for what it's worth i, I it, it does get a bit frustrating when you've got to go across the different state compensation systems and the state long service leave system that's oh yeah but um, still Woolworths should it be short of resources yeah. to get access to a lawyer or to yeah. you know and it wasn't, hr it wasn't long ago that you know employers you know that there was a there were state industrial systems full stop you know the consolidated federal system for national system employees is only is only 13 or 14 years old so it's not um yeah it's not it's not really an excuse but mm. yeah but that's a bad i think when you've got your the country's one of the country's biggest employers um dropping the ball that badly um yes yeah, not a good look is it all right so i skipped my bad because it was oh no i've got i have two uglies oh great <laughs> so i'll do my first ugly now okay my first ugly was the case it was one of the first um civil penalty orders about the job keeper scheme and if you saw if you saw that one where no is this that has um i think it was in the bus industry that had an this is my that... ugly brian oh, <laughs> i'll stop move on then <laughs> no 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 you tell it you tell it <laughs> No, I've got a second ugly anyway. So, okay. Yeah, you just go with it. You just do your ugly. <laughs> okay. No, right. So that, you're right. It was the River City Bus Service. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they've been penalized $14,000 for getting an employee to pay back part of their JobKeeper payment. Yeah. Um, so what they would do is basically they'd pay the employee the total JobKeeper payment, uh, minus any tax, of course. And then because that was more than the employee's usual fortnightly wage, uh, they would have the employee pay back the difference um so so that he'd just be yeah. paid as usual yeah and and it's ugly because it's ugly because the employer is then keeping the difference yeah which is, which is one thing now i i understand like and i'll go on the record with this because i was heavily involved but i understand some employers frustrations with the fact that the job keeper payment was more than some of their employees were earning um and there was a number of issues with it um, and, and in some cases, it actually disincentivized some casual workers to go to work at all. Um, and that caused a bit of a, and look, I, you know, talk about that, but I can understand that. I can understand why employers were unhappy with some of their employees getting more than they earned, but actually saying, okay, give it back, but give it back to me. <laughs> that's, 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 well, it's, 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 you know, it's more than a civil penalty issue. It's, it's potentially criminal, isn't it? No, that's right. So um from that perspective i um i do think though when it comes to the um when it comes to the job keeper scheme again remembering the circumstances that we were in when the job keeper was announced and i think it was announced on the 30th of march in 30th of march 2020 and the previous week we just had the very very heavy national closures and people were losing jobs. Like there was hundreds of thousands of people trying to log onto the Centrelink website at the yeah. same time and something needed to be done. And they cooked up that scheme in a very short space of time and announced it. And in that context, I think it was a pretty good scheme. Oh it yeah. Took, and it really helped a large number of people. And it, and it was a big part of preventing that kind of immediate Armageddon. Now in retrospect, it was too much too soon, you know, because we came out of it early and then we had a, a worse run where, where people were arguably worse off, et cetera. But in the scheme of things, I don't I don't mind them doing that. But yeah, you're right. That's pretty ugly. But we, we're going to have to compare notes before these, Essie, because we keep picking <laughs> the same ones. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I so have an ugly. There. You've got an ugly, yep. So not the decision is what the manager has done. So yeah. the... Federal Circuit and Family Court has ordered penalties against a restaurant and the director and manager in Perth. Um, so they've put penalties of 45360 on the company and then 9072 on the manager who owned it. The ugly bit is, oh, sorry, when she failed to comply with 
two compliance notices. Right. The ugly bit is that after she failed to comply with the two notices, she registered a new business. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm not sure if I try to get out of it or just start fresh, but yeah, trying to. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. No, hide. that's that's bold. That's. <laughs> so because they found that registration, her penalties went up. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. Just, just comply. Just do it. <laughs> well, you can't hide from the no. Federal Commerce Minister. It's a government agency. It's the same. It was. Yeah. 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 As the ATO or the Office of State Revenue. Like if they want you to do something, it's time. And starting a new company is not going to help you. I think no. it's um, yeah. Good one. All right, my ugly to wrap it up. And this is funny because you mentioned it as your good Essie was my ugly was Sydney train. <laughs> what was we really do it? need to compare notes. Stop stealing. This is <laughs> unbelievable. It, it, it was more just that first day, that Monday, when they've yeah. been having the hearings over the weekend, and then the entire network was shut down. And both the union, <laughs> the union and Sydney Trains were both alleging that it was the other one. And that's, I mean, that's an ugly situation, isn't it? You know, when, yeah. when, when you're striking. I mean, it's quite interesting. It's sort of, I think we talked about it on the day when we're saying it's almost like the old fashioned lockout sort of thing. It's well, like, you, you know, if you strike, we're going to lock it out. Well, yeah. that's right. I think the Sydney Morning um, Herald, Herald specifically called it a lockout, and I just didn't understand. Yeah. I was like, either it's a lockout or there's a safety concern, but like, yeah. why, why yeah. is this? A, you know, I think Sydney trains and the unions both didn't come off well when they were trying to blame each other. No. The other, it no. didn't come off well for yeah. either. Well, yeah, the biggest transport network in the country is just just is just closed, and nobody know, and and both sides say it's the other. Is is an ugly look, I reckon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap that up. Good, bad, ugly. That was a good one. Even though there wasn't much good, there was plenty of bad and plenty of ugly. That's <laughs> right. All right, the Rainmaker. So you guys watched this. You've already foreshadowed that you didn't really like it. Oh, so it, was, I, it was. It was long and slow. I found it. <laughs> I realized after maybe like the first scene that I'd actually seen it before, and I oh. thought, and I just thought. This is a really bad um, sign already if I had forgotten that I'd seen it before and it was one of the movies that I actually had on my list to watch for a while. Like it just, it had a really slow start. Um, And I think you explained that it skips because it's based on the book. Yeah, yeah, just like the listeners, anyone hasn't hasn't seen it, it's 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 Francis Ford Coppola's depiction of the John Grisham book, um, Mm. The Rainmaker, starring... um, Matt Damon and Danny DeVito broadly about a young lawyer that's trying to make a start in um, in the legal industry in Memphis and he takes on a massive insurance company in a um, in a in a case for punitive damages and basically that that's that's it you know that's the good but yeah you you said it was a slow start and then it was funny I remarked that I felt being a because I'm primarily a I like the John Grisham novels. Um, mm. I like the movies. I, I just like, as always, you, they, they don't translate well enough for me. But I think it felt to me like they skip a whole lot of the beginning, which sort of establishes the characters and lays the foundations for the story. But then for you to say, actually, even though they skipped the whole beginning, it was a slow start. That's a I feel like it was story. just, it was, yeah, no, it just threw you right into a couple of scenes and then you just like spend a little bit of time trying to decipher where they're going with this. I mean, clearly Matt Damon's character of Rudy Baylor is meant to be like this really green junior solicitor. But at first I was thinking like, Oh, is everybody going to turn really crooked? And like, I don't know. I think the tone was maybe a little bit off, but I felt like it picked up after a little bit before the halfway and then it got better. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. But, um, a favorite character for me, without question, is Bruiser, the, the crooked lawyer in the beginning. Wow, <laughs> really? So cool, yeah. Not Danny DeVito? And, oh, Danny DeVito's great too. But, yes. but I think Bruiser, actually, well, actually, uh, Danny DeVito is probably my favourite character. What I like the most in the movie, and I'm going to warn you guys that this is coming for Chatswood, is <laughs> Bruiser's, like, giant fish tank with the oh, baby yes. sharks. That is cool. <laughs> We're getting a fish tank in chats with baby sharks next nice. week. Nice. <laughs> we'll make a note next Christmas. <laughs> yeah. No. I but, also liked um, Dean Stockwell as the first first judge. 
Oh, yeah. The grumpy dive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love a grumpy judge. Is that his name, <laughs> Dean Stockwell? Yeah. I just remember him from um, Quantum Leap. Do you, remember, do you remember that show? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's the crazy guy in Quantum Leap. Yeah, that's cool. Um, no favourites, yeah. Chris? Um, I like Danny DeVito is that even yeah. though he failed the bar exam six times, he's yeah. still going. But I thought he made a better PI than actual yeah, barristers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he did. I actually thought, I was going to talk about the legal content side. I felt there were some aspects that were really realistic, but the one that really got me was Matt Damon's depiction of being totally inept and useless and having no idea what he was doing in court. And just a crushing kind of embarrassment of getting it totally wrong. And I can really relate. I think anybody that's had their kind of first experience in a court or tribunal, I think it just happens to no amount of preparation gets you ready for, for that. And, you know, in particular, like for instance, when he's leading his, witness in, has to do it over and over again in evidence in chief and and he keeps objecting to the leading of the witness and he just can't do it he can't seem to find a sentence that's not leading and then as soon as um leo cross-examines him and he's like objection leading and he's like we're allowed to do that and he's like oh. that was funny <laughs> I was, that was my favorite scene actually it was the first courtroom yeah. scene with him actually trying to yeah figure out yeah. How it's done. But I think it's it's really interesting because the first time you're ever like put on the spot, particularly you know, it's more relevant because we don't do in most of our jurisdictions we don't do evidence in chief verbally. We do affidavit evidence, but the re-examination has has those same rules, so you can't lead the witness. And after you've listened to your um, your witness being cross-examined for ages and then you get the chance to re-examine, it can be quite hard not to do that, even if you're quite experienced. And once you've asked a question in a leading way, like, if, first of all, it's impossible. It seems like your brain freezes and it's impossible to recast it in a different way. But most of the time they won't let you recast it anyway because you've already led the witness the way, you know, that you're supposed to. So I really related to that. But just generally the whole him feeling completely inept. Yeah. Um, I think even one of the quotes is that law school doesn't teach you what you need to, to know. Like you no. can read all the evidence and jurisprudence, but yeah. I, th I think that's, and, and I think that's really true. Um, the one bit I didn't like in terms of realism, and I hope that it's not realistic, is the scene with the first judge and Leo and Matt Damon, Rudy in in the oh, room in chambers, together. Chambers. Yeah. In chambers. It's like, my God. But it's funny. Tag teaming. Always, <laughs> it must be a thing in America because it's in every legal show that they all go into the judges' chambers and have those discussions. It's just so foreign to anyone that's done practice in Australia because it just doesn't, none, none of that happens. Do you know what I mean? There is total kind of that total separation. Um, but, you know, just even the fact that they were like tag teaming him and trying to coerce him into accepting the offer. It was just like, wow, that was terrible. No, I think the worst one for me was probably the closing argument. Uh, when he, like, it's, he just, I think he ended it with saying something like, just look into your hearts. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of like, the jury could, you know, they could do more than that. Like, come on, just, you know, yeah. you well, made I your liked... argument. They can understand the law to an extent, like, just yeah try but i think they do again another thing that i think they do have that little bit more scope for um dramatism yeah the, you know like all the stuff you know i remember watching on on tv when i lived in england the oj simpson glove moment yeah. and all they, they they do like the drama the courtroom drama quite a lot but i liked leo's closing when he said i can't remember exactly but he said along the lines of if you award punitive damages in this case, imagine what's going to happen. Insurance companies are going to go bankrupt and we're going to have a national government regulated health system. <laughs> I know. That's what you're going to be doing. <laughs> that That's his whole thing. And it's basically like, imagine how bad it's going to be to have a government mandated health system. It's like, well, that's what the rest of the world want, except for America. So, so it's funny. Um, yeah. Okay. So overall, you guys were impressed, which makes me feel sad because I like I liked it. Oh, yeah, I'm old school. I don't. I I didn't mind 
it, it had its wholesome moments. It had some good courtroom scenes, I think, in that sense. Um, yeah. It did well. I wasn't sure about the ending where <laughs> I think he made some sort of comment about how every lawyer feels that they're crossing the line that yeah. they didn't mean to cross. And then you're nothing but another lawyer joke, just another shark in dirty water. <laughs> and I just like that. that was... I gave it very carefully. I gave it a 7.5. And that's oh. because I wanted it to be exactly one point better than Legally Blonde. <laughs> and right. one, point, one point worse than A Few Good Men. That's where I put it, exactly halfway between those two movies. So I think I gave them 8.5 and 6.5. So this is a 7.5 for me. You're too harsh on Legally Blonde, but I did give it a 7. <laughs> you gave it a 7? All right. Yeah. I gave it a five. A oh. five. <laughs> I think that I might like, be a oh, first. I didn't, I didn't hate it while I watched it, but I didn't really intrigue. Like halfway through, I turned to my husband and oh. said, "How much do we have to go?" And we'd only been halfway through it. Oh, I, I'll no. give it a little bit. I watched it in two parts. Okay. <laughs> Are we going to pick a movie for next time? Yeah. Any ideas? I've kind of always wanted to know what Twelve Angry Men was about. It. 12 angry men it's uh an oldie um yeah. but it's on, the, like, the one in the jury room that's yeah that's right so but i think 12 it, angry men it's i think it pops movie. up in every single like if you ever google you know best law movies it's still up there so i want to know what, what what that's about 1957 wow you're going to make us watch something nearly 70 years old. That's fine. I'm into that. Let's, let's do it. That sounds good. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, if you've got any questions about swearing at work or about termination generally, um, you know, or dismissal, um, disciplinary proceedings generally, then um, feel free to give us a call. We've got some other publications on the website. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.